Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at RiderFlex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the RiderFlex show for updates on new episodes. And by the way, if you haven't already, check out the book we recently launched, The RiderFlex Guide, Inspiring and Hiring, available for purchase on Amazon. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Lucas Haldeman on the Rider Flex podcast. Hello, Lucas. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Steve. How are you doing? I'm all right. Are you in Arizona today? Yeah, I'm in our office in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's uh, getting a little warm, but still, still pretty nice here. I like Scottsdale. Been there many times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I like it. And yeah, it's uh, yeah, you're edging up to the part of the year that I don't like with you know July and August. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it cuts both ways because we also get uh, about half the population leaves, and so you know traffic gets better, golf uh-huh. gets faster. So there's a there's a there's you know, silver lining to every cloud, right? And actually, that is that's a bad metaphor because we basically have no clouds all summer. So, <laughs> what's your average temperature in the winter time? I would temperature in the, uh, in the high is in the the high seventies, low eighties in the winter. That's nice. I got to tell you, yeah. yeah. I need a home in Scottsdale and then one in Colorado in the mountains in the summertime. That's what I need. That's a that's a common one. A lot of people here do that. Not me. I'm where, stuck here year round. But where are you from originally? Actually, funny enough, I grew up in, in Colorado, where you're just mentioning. So I, I grew up in uh, a little town called Boulder, Colorado, up in the mountains above Boulder. And uh, and spent, you know, 18 good years there before before moving on. Wow. Okay. So you went to high school, Boulder High? I graduated from Boulder High, yep. How, how about that? I live about 40 minutes from Boulder, just uh, up near Loveland, okay. northern Colorado. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Sunshine Canyon, if anyone, if you know, if you know that one, I know. Do you uh, do you still know people from Boulder? Because I've had a shit ton of those guys on the podcast. <laughs> yes, some. Although most people I know actually didn't didn't aren't from Boulder. Because they, 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 you know the tech boom. You know when I was there, it wasn't a, it wasn't a tech hub. It was it was just kind of a the hippie hub. You know, it was kind of kind of cool. <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't high tech. Uh, that's true, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, population was a lot different in Colorado back then. Yeah, I, yeah. Have you been to Northern Colorado lately? Yes. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, uh, the you know, Fort, Fort Collins when we were growing up was was just a sleepy little town, and now it's a it's an amazing amazing place. And I should have gotten into craft beer. I, I missed my calling, I guess. But <laughs> I had this couple come in from California. Uh, they purchased a, a, an RV that we were selling, and uh, the guy comes in. He goes, "Man, I feel like your whole state is on is is under construction." <laughs> I know it feels that way. Yeah, it feels that way. Uh, but uh, so, what'd your mom and dad do? Talk to me about your family, mom, dad, siblings. Yeah, I have um, I have three brothers, three sisters. Uh, oh. But uh, but not not the traditional way. We weren't sort of the the, the traditional family. My couple different couple different fathers in there. Um, oh. But we all grew up together. All the kids. So my mom, um, you know, raised us all. Still, so close with my dad, and 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 they're they're great. But so my mom um, actually had her own graphic design business when we were growing up, and so she would go and and source graphic design work. And this was mainly for like catalogs, you know. I mean, you think about how it's this is all right. gone to the web, right? right? But yeah. back then it was so I was probably the only third grader who knew how to use a, a non photo blue pencil and do markups and get stuff camera ready. <laughs> but because cool. we kind of just go around <laughs> with her to, to the different jobs and and kind of just follow her around. And so so and now she actually runs a uh, she left that and now she she runs a, a dance company that helps at risk youth. So very very cool. Uh, it's called Turning the Wheel if anyone is interested in in supporting it. But very very cool. So, so she, I didn't know what it meant, but she was an entrepreneur. I just didn't know what that, that was. Right, so right. Uh, my, my dad um, is a writer by trade, but you know, can't really make money being a writer. And so uh, he made his professional career primarily writing um, indexes of books. So if you think oh. about the, of these odd things that, that now a lot of times just a computer writes it, but if you want a really good index, you find a good indexer. 
And so you could you could read the book and write write the index. So um, eclectic eclectic uh, careers, you know, not not. Now, uh, does he know about ChatGPT? <laughs> now ChatGPT can write your in index for you. <laughs> he, yeah, he does not, and and uh, but but he knew kind of uh, he knew that's where the world was going anyway, because even before ChatGPT, like computers can identify keywords and and pull them out and tell you what page they're on or you don't even need an index because you just you just search the document <laughs> that's right yeah true yeah yeah good point are they both retired now or no your mom's doing the nonprofit. how about your dad is yeah. he retired? dad's retired yeah yeah okay. my, no my mom is still going so i don't know um she's still on the road almost as much as i am and i just i like i don't know when, when are you going to slow down but uh, are you uh, out of the uh let's see seven seven children all together then if i did my math right yeah were you the good kid, the bad kid, the, the rebel, the average kid? Where where were you in there as far as behavior goes, Lucas? Uh, yeah, no, I. <laughs> yeah, this is a good good question. So, I was the the fifth, and so by the time I came along, they'd already seen a lot of stuff. But um, I definitely kind of was more of the troublemaker. Um, my my sister, who's my next oldest sibling, is my sister. She was incredibly well behaved and very studious and. Um, I was always super bored in school, just mm. so bored. And, gotcha. and so, so kind of had idle time to, to think about getting into trouble. And, and somehow I had a, a chemistry class I took like in fifth grade, like this would be completely inappropriate even back then, but the guy taught us how to make gunpowder and homemade fireworks. It was like an after school thing. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I took to that. I loved that a lot. I think, I think so. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't like a, a juvenile delinquent, but I was kind of a troublemaker and, and, yeah. and constantly bored. And uh, did you ever have to call your mom from the sheriff's office or anything cool? Getting anything you want to confess right now to the audience? Not, nothing, nothing that cool, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, just general, and now that now that I have kids and kind of see that, um, I do I did apologize to both my mom and dad because, like, you know, I'm sorry I put you through that because uh, it must have not been that fun. How many children do you have now? Well, I have three kids. Uh, my wife and I, uh, 17, 14, and 11. And boy, it's I mean, it's it's so parenting is just full of cliches, but you find out they're all absolutely true, you know? So you're like, where did the time go? And I can't believe, so we have one, our oldest is going to be a senior next year. And you, so you're, we're at that moment of like, mm -hmm. what happened? Where, do, where did all the time go? And, and a, you know, everyone says that it's like, but boy, is it true? Oh, I, I, uh, yeah, all of our, we have four and they're all grown. Uh, in fact, I have two granddaughters, but oh. yeah, I will, I'll, I will just tell you, Lucas, that, um, it is weird when they get out of the house. So, so be, yeah, bra brace yourself. I, I yeah. remember that, that, that first 12 months of being an empty nester, I, I'd come home from work this is before I started Rider Flex and I'd kind of be sitting in the living room like, okay, well, now what do I do? <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, years of, years of, it, it, what are you going to do with your Saturdays when you're not, you know, right? engaged right? in various youth sports? That's right. And all of nobody's gotten in trouble yet. I mean, 17 and 14, that's right about the age where they start kind of venturing out. No, knock on wood. They're, they're, they're really amazing kids. So um, that's good. Uh, uh, better, better than I deserve. So they're not, they're like karma somehow missed me on this one. <laughs> so uh, how'd, how'd you meet your wife? Uh, we met in college, actually. Uh, so I, I left Colorado and went to a small liberal arts school in Iowa. Um, wanted to kind of get out of Colorado and uh the second week of school we we met through a mutual friend and uh you know uh 28 years later we're we're still together how about that congratulations yeah. 28 years Thank nice you. nice yeah. that uh yeah. that takes that takes work good job it does yeah yeah <laughs> uh, well, but, so yeah. see you and CSU did you have any scholarships you didn't want to go to CU or anything you just be ready to, for a change yeah I think I think I think I knew if I went to CU, I probably would have just dropped out. I would have been kind of lost in the in the machine. Um, yeah. So yeah. I I think for me a small school was was perfect. Um, so okay. I went to Cornell College. We were on the block plan too, which which Colorado College does the same thing, which is kind of how I was aware of it, and I right. was interested in it. And so instead of sort of taking four or five classes a semester, you take one class at a time, and it's for four weeks. So you you go through an entire semester in four weeks but only in one subject and so 
right. I really, it's not for everyone. It's intense. Um, but I, I really loved it. And I thought it was, it, for me, it was, I could really focus on what I was learning, what I was into, you know, so you can go spend as much time as, you know, we're taking C++, I could stay in the computer lab for 12 hours and just, and just focus on that and nothing else. And so mm-hmm. I really, so that's what drew me, drew me to, to that school. Do you remember how many students uh, they had total population? Yeah, we had about 1,200 total students. And at the time, it's a little bit bigger than that now. And and classes were capped at uh, 14. So, and and you had all tenured professors. They didn't have a graduate school. So you didn't have any teaching assistants. And uh, so you, like you were the professor. And actually, yeah. I, still, I still talk to some of those professors um, today even, so... That's great. You know, I'm a, yeah. I uh, I went to a small liberal arts school in Oklahoma myself with about 2,500 students, so I can relate. Yeah. I I can relate. It was great, great experience. Uh, loved it, and, and the the social experience was also pretty awesome because you uh, there were so few students, you were almost forced to mix in all groups. You couldn't really live in silos because it was just right. too small, right? And yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly the same. Where just sort of like you know, th- there was there weren't enough people to say only the football guys hang out. Like <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> like we all got to kind of hang out and find our <laughs> find our commonalities versus focusing totally. on our differences. Totally, totally. You did you, was your major computer science or economics or English? I can't tell. I'm looking at your LinkedIn pro or all of them. <laughs> all of so I, I did um, economics and business, English, and then um, a minor in, in essentially what was computer science or we, wow. And so, um, but really what I was interested in was the web, uh, even back then. Um, so I'd learned some C++, some Java, but, but was always interested in, in the internet. Like I, I, I felt like the web was going to be mm-hmm. something amazing, which I, I never dreamed it'd be like it is today, but, but I just thought it was going to be a, a really impactful medium, um, mm-hmm. and a new medium. And so, yeah. so that's, that's really what I wanted to learn. So you wanted to be in tech, in computers, and in, in programming of some kind coming out of school. Yeah, that, I, yes, and and I thought I thought my calling was to be a software engineer, um, mm-hmm. which it, which it wasn't. But at the time, that's that's what I what I really thought. And so I started doing front end development, front end web work, um, and that's actually how I got into apartments. Now I didn't. I didn't grow up in the apartment business. I didn't, I mean, I certainly was aware <laughs> apartments existed, but uh, you don't really know that there's this whole industry behind it necessarily. If you just live in an apartment. Um, right, right. And so I got hired by a website that was putting the first database of apartments online, but it's a very weird thing to think about now in this day where everything's online. But at that time, 1997 timeframe, there wasn't a comprehensive database of apartments that uh, that you could. Mm-hmm. So you had to go to the grocery store and get the book off the rack and see what was there, but you couldn't couldn't search online. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of got me into the into the apartment space. And you were doing kind of front end stuff, but then they let me guess your leadership and your people skills uh, and your personality and style pushed you towards product management and customer facing type stuff, right? Exactly right. Yeah. So I built this little demo of a product I'd been working on and went to the head of sales and and showed it to him. He said, "What department do you work in?" I said, "I'm in the engineering department." He said, "Okay." He said, not anymore. Need, yeah, not anymore. <laughs> it's like you you are you sit over there now and, and you're called a product manager and, and come out on the road with me because I want you talking to customers about this. Yes. So early on I started yeah. doing that. And I loved I found out really what I loved was product management, which is yeah. which is which is the the not having to actually physically code everything, but just the whole architecture, the idea that what's the product and then and then seeing it being used and utilized is, is amazing for me. It's always been sort of very gratifying to, to come up with something, put it out there and then actually see it getting used. Was this company, was this move Inc or was this somebody else? The, so this, uh, this was, one? yeah, it was, it became move Inc. So we I were, see. yeah, we're, uh, so it was kind of cool. Uh, where all apartments was the name of the company. Okay. But then we got acquired, um, it went public under the home store slash move brand. And so it was realtor.com, uh, our apartments brand, uh, new homes, and then mortgage and, and living content. So it was a whole real estate portal. And so, wow. so I, I, I continued my career there for a long time. Uh, nice. and yeah, it's still, still a great, still a great site. 
did you know i mean okay so you stayed there till like 2006 were you having the entrepreneurial itch were you like i want to you know this is great i'm learning a lot i'm getting promoted this is awesome but kind of want to do my own thing was that in there already yeah um yes yeah very much so so one of the downsides of going on the road and talking to all these apartment people was I kept hearing all these stories about, well, I was in college and I bought a duplex and now I fly around on my private jet. You know, they sort of, they're sort of, we're really good at crafting the story of like fast forwarding through, you know, 30 yeah. years of, of grinding it out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like from, from duplex to 30,000 units. But like, uh-huh. and so, so I was really intrigued by that. So I started reading about real estate and I, I read that, at the time that book uh, rich dad poor dad was was popular maybe it's still popular but that that was a fundamental book for me to read like that really was an important one for me not coming from money and i like i really think you know the the author of that book did a great favor to a lot of people like me by just exposing you to that or exposing me to that and so i started thinking about well you know it's great i've got this great career going um and I, and I like working here, but, but should I be doing something for myself, you know, where and could I start something? And, um, so that's where, uh, I did that. We, we, I, we left, um, and, and moved back to the Midwest and, and Sarah and I started, a uh, buying real estate, uh, apartments, self-storage, okay. um, got into the restaurant business <laughs> and, oh. uh, and started a fee management business. So ba- basically truly entrepreneurial. Um, and I started a fee management business because we owned a small number of apartments. We owned, when we first started, we owned 42 apartment units, which I think is statistically the worst possible number of apartments to own as an individual, <laughs> because, you know, I was the head of leasing, the head of maintenance. <laughs> oh, I <see. laughs> and, and I, and I, do, I, you know, and 42 is not enough to have a staff. Like I couldn't hire anybody. I see. And so that's why I started saying, well, what if I, manage some other buildings and we could build a staff and so built up a, a pretty successful fee management business in in the midwest um and, why and that iowa was, is that where your wife was from is that why iowa okay yeah well that's where my wife was from that's where i went to school and really it was sort of sort of like like oh uh, you know going back to boulder like a lot of people moved back to boulder because they went to went to cu or something like it's one of those where it's like hey i just want to i had this this vision of going back to the the college town so we lived in iowa city which is a great great little college towns where the university of Iowa is. It's a, it's a really cool town. It's got a really great, the writer's workshop is there. It's got a really interesting population and great, great people. And so, so we went back there and, and that's you, where we were based on. Did you hit some speed bumps in the fall of 08, early 09, right in there? Cause I know, I mean, cause I, I think you started doing this in 06 and then fall of 08 comes along. You got some scars from that. Oh yeah. I got some scar tissue from that. So, uh, <laughs> I got, I got all kinds of scar tissue that, I mean, that is true sort of the, you know, some of the people listening, I'm sure thinking about it, which is, I think, you know, there is no lesson like failure, right? That, that's another one of those sort of cliche things, but it is kind of true that, that um, it's important to hit some speed bumps, I think, or, yeah. or if you're really going to be successful. So, yeah. So, so my, my speed bump was, um, you know, I was doing the math and thought, the more leverage I can put on these things, the more I can buy, you know, and, and we're in this time of, of pretty mm-hmm. easy to get, to get bank loans mm-hmm. uh, and mezzanine debt. And I thought, boy, 50% is good, but 60% is better. And 80% is really great. Right. And I said, what could go wrong? <laughs> um, and, and that's cool. where, you know, I learned that, Hey, markets shift on you and and predictable cash flows can dry up and so um so yeah we had a, we had a hard time uh, the the saving grace was we had a bunch of self storage um and self storage stayed really really hot um and so i was able to actually um you know we were able to sell the the storage units um and kind of c- kind of bow out gracefully um, okay. but it was right. it was personally very 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 painful um and and kind of left us back where we had started you know mm-hmm. sort of sort of uh back at square one and not 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 destitute but really sort of like well what are we what are we gonna what are we gonna do what are we gonna do now is that okay so then a couple of years goes by and you're like oh, i guess i better go get a regular job again as, as something to that effect and then uh you you end up 
having to be an employee for somebody else or what happens? Yeah, well, well, no, it was actually, I was pretty excited for that opportunity because it, it was actually pretty entrepreneurial. So when we got oh. into to single family rentals, okay. I got recruited and it, and it was true. It wasn't going to be my company. I was going back to be a, be a, a employee. Um, but really the, the challenge was out, coming out of the foreclosure crisis could we actually create a new category of institutional real estate called single family rentals that no one had ever managed single family homes at scale? It, I mean, it always been for for 100 years or, or 2000 years in some ways, people have been renting out homes, right? Or, or uh, since the beginning of time, but no one ever said, well, how could we look like a, a regular multifamily REIT from a PL basis, but the underlying asset class is all single family rentals. And so okay. that was, it was pretty exciting um, time where we were really trying to figure it out because it was sort of like multifamily in a lot of ways and then not like it in, in other ways. And so we mm -hmm. had to apply technology to really make that business work. And so that was the exciting thing for me to, to bring is how do we, how do we kind of revolutionize property management with technology uh, was that was did cool. that did that company just sell the software to manage the properties or did they own the properties as well well we owned the properties yeah so it was it was also writing really cool software around how do you find these opportunities how do you okay. how do you bid on homes you know all, there's a lot of there was a lot of and data component you know how do you know which neighborhood to buy in and mm. and what drives rents you know like no like all these things that you could just go off the shelf in multifamily. There, there's a whole REIT analyst community that writes about it. Like it didn't exist for the single family world. And also um, in multifamily, one of the things we learned early on that institutions against, you know, competing with other institutions are very different than an institution complete competing with the owner who may have one or two homes, right? I so see. things like yeah. trying to get a four or 5% rent bump, that's vital. If you own fifty thousand rental units, you've got to get that rent bump, right? Like you got to push your rents and and get it up. If you own one house, you're either one hundred percent occupied or one hundred percent vacant, right? And so, so do you say, do I want another ten dollars a month, or do I just want to keep this person there and happy? Well, yeah. you was I want to keep them there and happy. Like I don't care about literally ten more dollars for me a month. I have one like that. I have one like that right now. I have a duplex in Oklahoma. The lady's been there fifteen years. <laughs> Right. And she's she's probably underpaying by a couple of hundred dollars a month, but I don't care. <laughs> exactly. So that, there you go. That's exactly that is exactly the mentality. And so you come as an institution and say, well, we're public. We got to go show people we're growing rents, but no one else is moving rents, right? So so it was entered like, how do you combat that? How do you how do you kind of move that stuff? Because what you, the story you just described is exactly how every small owner thinks is like it's not worth the hassle. I'm I'm actually just happy it's occupied and and I'm getting it in and and if you have a mortgage it's covering the mortgage whatever whatever it is so yeah, um, yeah. yeah so it was it was a pretty exciting time to be in and actually um, if you look at the number of prop tech companies or or even more broadly just the number of new companies that have been started of people who were at these institutions it's amazing so it, it attracted a tremendous number of of entrepreneurs as it was really a daunting challenge. Were you the head of, uh, were you the CIO slash CTO and the guy that built code or you hired all the right people to, to build the software? We hired people to build the software. So I didn't, I, um, no, it was definitely when we were getting going, these were not big companies. So it was like, I was, I was the, I was the, the CTO, the, the big chief technology officer, but I was also, you know, the guy who changed the toner in the printer and helped if your computer <laughs> wasn't working. And so it was, it really, yeah, it man. was just like a startup, you know, I mean, yeah, it was cool. weird because it's like, we're a startup that, that has a billion five in cash in the bank. Uh, but that had to buy houses, you know, that wasn't to build, that wasn't to build tech. You know what I mean? I it wasn't you. like, Hey, have an unlimited budget. And so, um, so we really were kind of a thrifty little startup. Did you have equity in these these companies? A little bit, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I was wondering. The reason I'm asking that, of course, because it follows the next question with, which is, did you get the cash out on that, and that's how you had the money to start Smart Home? I, that's what I'm. That's why I was asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some, some in in some ways, yes, and then also from from some of the other ventures that we had we had put in the works before that. But but yeah. Okay. So when we started Smart Rent, um, our co-founder Sarah Rowdy Bush and I put in the first $2 million to, okay. to get it going and knowing that um, because that is the, so I had, I had some equity in, in, in colony Starwood homes, 
and had done done well and also had um been running running some agency stuff on the side as well doing mm-hmm. kind of putting money away with the idea of, of of getting ready to go start something and really you know some of the best advice i got which i didn't follow the first time we're entrepreneurs but the second time is sort of like if you're going to go start a company like make sure you're able to fund it you, you don't you don't need you don't need a salary but you're gonna you don't want to give up too much equity too fast so you need to be right. able to fund it and then make sure that what cascades off of that the advice i got which i think was was good was that also means make sure your house is paid for your cars are paid for your kids college fund is filled up like don't don't sort of be be set that if hey for two years nothing goes your way you're okay and, exactly and that that was so that's that's what, that's how we started it um I like that. I like that. that's a yeah. good that's a good that's a good uh tip to kind of pause on for the listeners. You know, and people debate on what that is. Is it a year salary? Is it two years salary? You know, I don't know. All that's up for debate. But yes, you should my advice as well is go into it thinking if I don't pay myself a dime over the next 24 months, can we still pay the personal bills while the company's running while I get this thing going? I mean, yeah, because nobody's going to loan you a bunch of money just so you can pay yourself a fat salary while you start a company, at least most right. of the time. <laughs> yeah. And if they are, if they will, I wonder if you want to take that money. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, probably bad money. Uh, okay. So, and who's Sarah and how did you meet her? How'd you meet your co-founder? Sarah, Sarah's my wife. And so, oh, 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 okay. okay. Yeah. I thought yep. maybe it was somebody different. Okay. No, no, no. Sorry. Oh. So, yeah. So, so we, and we had the businesses in Iowa together. And so it's, it's always okay. been been a partnership that way okay were there were there were you nervous were you like okay are you ready to do this again let's put let's put this money in here let's let's do this again after what happened and you had to leave uh, you left iowa and were you nervous no I, I wasn't nervous but i think i think as an entrepreneur you have to be a little bit demented um <laughs> and i probably should have been really nervous and I, but i was like i know this is going to work but I, but i think i think they're sort of you know I think a lot of the entrepreneurs I've talked to are just, just eternal optimists. Uh, and they so are. we always just think like, like, Hey, it's all, it's going to work perfectly. Uh, and then, and then sometimes it does. Uh, and that, that's, that's a great thing. But, um, but no, I wasn't, I wasn't nervous. I was excited. And I thought, you know, I had, I did have an advantage in, in starting SmartRent because as the CTO of a publicly traded REIT, I was looking for this product. Uh, mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. I had two years uh, where I was searching for it and couldn't find it. <laughs> like I need mm-hmm. this, and there were parts of it there. You know, we have a competitive set now at SmartRent. Then those were sort of a lot of those existed back then. And it's like that no one quite got it exactly right, and and there were holes to the platforms. And so I I kind of had some conviction saying, look, I would have bought this <laughs> like in a second if it existed, and that gave me some some you know more not data, but some more data type facts that like this, this should work if we can get it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw the need, you had the experience, you had the knowledge and you saw the need uh, yeah. right? and, and you, and you had saved up enough cash to, to do it. Uh, so yes. for, for the listeners, before I start asking you a bunch of questions about smart rent, why don't we, why don't we do the quick overview? Give us uh, for the listeners at smartrent.com. You mind giving us the quick overview of the company and then I'll ask you some questions. Yeah. Yeah, no. So, so we are an enterprise smart home company, and so what that what that means is we help owners of rental properties, multifamily and single family, manage thousands of different uh, smart devices. So, smart locks to control the access, smart thermostats to control the temperatures, leak sensors to to protect against water damage. Mm-hmm. And so, the problem that that I saw that I found was there was a lot of really good hardware that had been built. Uh, but no one had thought about how would I manage this at scale? How would I manage thousands of these devices at the same time? Because you're getting all this new data in. This is one of the problems with IoT, not just not just at SmartRoom, but in general. IoT, we're connecting everything to the internet. Everything's telling us all the time, this is what I'm doing. This is how many times my motor is run. This is my RPM cycle. Like really cool stuff. But if it's just flowing at you, it's just a tsunami of data, right? And it's, right. Not, it's not useful. Totally. It actually hurts your day, right? Like if you get... <laughs> If you get, you know, 6,000 emails a day, you're like, well, that that's not good. That doesn't help me. And so that's where our platform takes in all that data, harnesses it, and then knows how to point it out in the right direction. So, hey, you're a leak sensor getting wet. 
I need to go into this other piece of software that the owner uses and write an emergency work order. And we need to send someone to this apartment. And so that's really the, the, the what we started out to do. Um, and, and the only other two things that I'll mention quick is the other things are we actually now also build a lot of hardware. Um, so we were sort of pushed into becoming a hardware company. Because uh, you couldn't find a supplier? Right. Couldn't find mm -hmm. what we needed. Couldn't find the right pieces. Um, I mean, even things like our our leak sensor that we developed, the battery lasts for 10 years. Um, it costs me more to make that, uh, but, but we're, we're putting thousands of these out. So think about if it's dying every year and it's in your own house, well, who cares? You just go throw a battery in once a year. It's not, not that big a deal. If you've deployed 300,000 of these, though, that's a lot of work to go <laughs> replace batteries, right? Like, so, gotcha. um, so that, so, so we've done that. And then we've also, from the beginning, we've also handled the installation and the training. So we have a team of people that we, we show up on site. Um, and it's sort of a white glove experience to get it implemented. Wow. You just, okay. You, I just heard you say, I'm a, I'm a service business. I'm a manufacturer of hardware. I'm a SaaS company. What, what else did I miss? <laughs> yeah. And we're a distributor of hardware, which is sort of like being a manufacturer, but we sell, you know, we distribute thousands of different products as well. The only, only to our customers. Like I don't sell them. Oh, okay. But you're white yeah. label, you're not white labeling anything to a competitor or anything yet. No, no, <laughs> not yet. Uh, okay. Dare to dream. Uh, uh, so, so some layman terms questions here. So, yeah. uh, so I have, uh, I, I guess I don't, really apply to this yet because i only have two rentals but if well, we should we'll, we'll talk after as long as you have a major credit card okay <laughs> i uh, so it'll t i like the leak thing by the way i like that yeah. um locking the doors is cool unlocking the doors is cool um uh what what else will it tell me what else will it how else can it help a, a little person like me or is it not really designed for me it is designed for you. It's designed for anybody who has a rental. So your your duplex in Oklahoma is a great candidate. Um, but so yeah, it really comes down to there's sort of three three problems we're trying to solve. And okay. the first one I think is actually the most important, uh, which is if you think about the smart home revolution that's been going on, it's been going on for 25 years, right? That we've had smart devices okay. even before Wi-Fi, right? Um, renters have been completely locked out and isolated from that so if you if you're a, a renter and you live in an apartment you can't put a smart lock on your door that's a violation of your lease right like you can't change your lock it's the okay. owner's lock yeah. it's not your lock yeah. you can't take gotcha. your thermostat off and put a smart thermostat off and on and save money on utilities and so mm -hmm. part of the the revolution that we're we're bringing is to renters we're, we're bringing this smart home technology and and the modern way of living and so things like um you know you can give your your kid a code when they get off the bus if you're at work they can enter their code and you get a push notification hey steve you know your your son's home from school uh, it, it allows you to to save 50 to 100 dollars a month on your utilities uh especially in the hot climates during the summer if you think about a renter who's on a fixed income either elderly or even just just two working parents it's saving a hundred dollars is not immaterial. It's a really important mm -hmm. thing mm -hmm. to them. Um, and so I love, I love that aspect of it. That's not enough, unfortunately, though, to, just to say everyone will put it in. Um, and so that's where the other side of it is for the owner. So the owner of the asset, and that's where we talk about things like um, the leak sensors, where we're protecting our assets from water like damage, that. which are really, really costly. Um, or also smart thermostats can also tell us if it's getting too hot or too humid or too cold. If we're about to have freezing pipes or we're about to have mold start to grow. Um, can I turn stuff it, off? Can I, one of the problems I have, my wife's always complaining about this. She's like the gas company, the, you know, we, or, you know, the, the bill in between the renters. So yes. they didn't turn something off or didn't get exactly. switched on time. And, you know, I'd love to just be able to turn the water and gas and electricity off from here in Colorado as soon as they move out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's where our system actually has vacant mode that the owner sets up. Vacant and again, mode. we're tied into okay. the software. So we know, hey, this resident has left. It's vacant. Put mm -hmm. it into vacant mode. And mm -hmm. things like you can't put the thermostat to 62 degrees in Atlanta in the summer. Mm -hmm. Like it just won't even work. You know, it's not. And so that's mm -hmm. all about saving money, protecting assets and, and becoming more operationally efficient. So that's 
that's sort of and I, I think we're drifting into infomercial but that's sorry sort of the, sorry <laughs> can, no, it, my, can my, it can it tell me can it tell me if they have dogs in the living room when they're not supposed to <laughs> yeah uh, we have that ability you want to be careful how much you're uh you're doing I'm, that but yes yeah, yes I actually I, I know you say that jokingly but you can with smoking, a decibel beater you can, smoking. you can yeah listen for that oh okay yeah yeah dogs smoking those are two problems i have please don't do that and you know okay sorry yeah I'm, now i'm getting off yeah, on smoking a is a big one and actually also one of the you know all the legalization of marijuana mm -hmm. you know that people don't want to be in the apartment next door with their kids and, and getting that that smoke and so so actually mm -hmm. cigarette tobacco and and other types of smoke are are a real issue Okay, and you can detect that, and I can get a I can get a read from that. I can get a, right. a, a an alert or whatever. Exactly. Wow. Okay, you definitely have my attention now for <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, is it is it affordable? What's the what's the business model? Yeah, walk if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about, um, yes, it's it's affordable. So so it's five hundred to eight hundred dollars per unit for all the all the hardware and the installation. It depends on code. Okay. Um, like high rises have are a little bit more expensive. That's installation, the, installation hookup fee or whatever. Yeah, then, yeah. So we okay. charge uh, we charge for the hardware, um, we charge for the installation, and then we charge a recurring SaaS fee to have the platform. And that's two two platforms really. It's the platform for you to run your business as the owner, and then it's the the front end platform that the resident has the app on their phone to have their living experience. Mm -hmm. And the the SaaS piece is that a monthly fee per unit or and you get discounts yeah. if you have if you get if you have 10,000 units you get a discount stuff like that right yeah exactly yes yeah monthly fee. go ahead sorry yeah monthly fee per unit and then yeah we have, we work with some of the largest owners and so we have you know bulk bulk discounts for the more units you bring on of course okay and do i have to sign a contract is it month to month is it a year how's that look yeah so we sign a we sign typically 3 to 5 year agreements three um, to 5 years yeah, sometimes even a little bit longer, um, sometimes shorter, but but most people want that. Um, it's a so it's a big decision. I mean, each unit is affordable, but think about you know even on the low end, five hundred dollars. If you have fifty thousand units or twenty thousand units, that's a pretty big upfront capital spend. Mm -hmm. And so people are pretty thoughtful before putting it in. They're careful. We do a lot of pilots, which we actually recommend. Like like do a pilot, try it, make sure you're happy with it. Okay. Um, like and, and paid paid yeah. pilot. We don't do it for don't do it just to be good, not for free. But I think that's a good a good sales strategy, um, especially in apartments, but in other other verticals too, to to actually embrace the trial. Um, as salespeople, I think we always want to get the full commitment. Like I want, like give me give me everything. But it but it's I think I think good for I try to build conviction internally that people are excited and feeling good about the product and and seeing the results, and then they they kind of become our own internal promoters within that company i uh, love it i got a couple of questions this may be drilling down too far but uh two things how does it integrate with you know some people now are starting to have certain smart things in their home maybe they already have a thermostat or maybe they already have a camera system or something H how does that work do you, do you tie it together do you just remove those and put in all your own stuff how does that work we try to tie it together so so even we like to say we're we're really hardware agnostic. Um, that doesn't always mean everything works together. So it kind of depends. Like it doesn't mean everything is going to work. But if we can put it on the platform, we we do. Okay. Uh, and so I think the idea, especially in in apartments where we don't have sort of unlimited budgets, is hey, if if you just bought a bunch of thermostats, maybe I don't think it's the the best, and I can tell you why maybe I'd buy something different going forward, but if at all possible, let's, let's leave it in place. Um, that's what we try to do. One of the things, so I have this uh, system called simply safe, mm -hmm. which is, which is like a pretty basic alarm system, right? It's nothing yeah. fancy. Um, I mean, if you know where the cameras are, if you're a bad guy, you just climb up there and do whatever. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's going to stop real criminals, but uh, anyway, I have yeah. simply safe. One of the things that is very obvious is that if I lose power or if I lose my internet connection, I'm, I'm toast anyway. So I, it does nothing for me if either one of those go out. So yeah, 
I mean, hell, my, my, my breaker box is on the outside of my house. A real, a real bad guy just turned a breaker box off and it don't matter. <laughs> so, right. How, how do any, any, like, how do you get around that? Yeah. What the, um, how do you get around not, the power, the power and the internet issue? I guess is my it's question. A, it's a challenge. I mean, we, we get around it with, with a backup battery in our, in our hub and a cellular connection. And so uh, it's uh, not, it's not a forever solution, but it does say it'll keep working in the event of a, of a power outage. Oh. And then a lot of things, a lot of the hardware we like to promote, uh, now your HVAC is not going to work if there's no power anyway, but like the door lock, right. I like locks. Like we recommend smart locks that have a ability to put in a code and they run on battery. So you, you could always get in, um, whether there was internet or not. And so I like, I like having some of those fail safes in place too. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. You're not tied to an alarm system company or do you, do you buddy up with an alarm system company or how does that work? We don't. So we, we actually have a, a self-monitored security package. So as a resident, you could buy motion sensors and door and window contact uh -huh. sensors. And then kind of like, like the simply safe that you were describing, uh -huh. uh, you say I'm away from my apartment and it'll alert you if the, if the door gets opened or if, if it sees motion. Um, and what we found is that most people prefer that to the, the price and, and the monitored security. Um, yeah, so no I, I think the security world is, is changing a little bit in that way that when we didn't have smartphones and, and cameras that, that we could see remotely and stuff like it was, you needed, you needed that interface, but now, um, you know, you don't always need that, that monitoring station to call you. You know, I'm always, I'm always, I'm always weirded out when I look at the camera or if we're away and I look at my phone and I'm watching the camera in the living room, I, I always think, man, one of these days I'm going to look at that. And I'm going to see somebody across in the room and I'm going to flip out. <laughs> Hasn't happened yeah. yet. Uh, yet. Uh, here's a, here's a, another question. Um, how many employees so far? 400, 500? What do you got? We have uh, about 630. Nice. Wow. Yeah. After how many years has it been? Seven years. Seven years and 600 employees. Congratulations, Lucas. You're growing Thanks. like crazy. You're growing like we crazy. We are, yeah. 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 Very, very good. I'm wondering, since I own a staffing and recruiting firm, my first, and I know what it's like to try to, I mean, we deal with all kinds of clients that have constant turnover, especially at the associate field tech level. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to guess that keeping techs, uh on staff can be challenging or you just have you figured out the magic uh, silver bullet to uh, keep them all happy so you got no turnover <laughs> yeah uh, i think uh, i think that i think that's a leading question <laughs> um yeah no, i mean uh, we actually do have lower turnover than than a lot of firms um i don't think we i don't think we've figured out some magic bullet um uh, the one thing that we have always done from the beginning and this was this was one of sarah's ideas was we actually pay for health care for every employee and their dependents so not just the employee but for their families and wow. even even for our field techs and we actually have some firms um that that have us you know not competitive with us but where they do it but only for their software engineers or only for their execs and, and so deal. i always yeah That's i thought that deal. was it's a big expense mm -hmm. um but I, I think it's I think it's incredibly worth it. And I just think it's important. People shouldn't have to worry about the health of their family, you know, like mm -hmm. and that's that just allows us to to focus more on on being productive, I think. So, yes, that's, so that's the one kind of, you know, maybe if something we point at that, I think I think helps and that that also allows us to recruit people that that matters to, you know, which I think is a is a is a that's the, a good group of people. It to is. Have. Agreed. No, yeah, good move. Do you let the text? Do they get to drive the truck home? So it's kind of like a company vehicle. We have. We don't have. Um, we don't have company vehicles, uh, okay. and so they get to drive the rental car when they're on the road. But otherwise, they're in their car. But they get. Um, that's that's sort of our next next phase. Uh, um, it's funny because you're growing so fast, like you don't have time to do some of the things you know you should be doing like a fleet vehicle contract and stuff so uh, <laughs> you, it's the, it's sometimes you look up and you're like yeah we're behind but uh i'd rather be behind and growing like this than than ahead and, yeah. and saying no to business have you uh some of these questions you may not want to share but uh it's okay if you don't but have you had to put in more cash than what you guys put in from the beginning or was that enough to get it going and and you're 
you're profitable, you're not burning cash, or where, where are you at with cash? Yeah, well, no, we're, um, so I mean, well, I'll start the first. No, we we haven't put in additional cash. Okay, we have good. raised a lot of cash. Oh, you um, have? Okay, well, yeah, tell yeah. me, about, talk to me, but if you don't mind, what can you share on cash raise? Sure, yeah, and, and we went we went public almost two years ago and raised 500 million. So that was the last time we raised uh, raised money. And so that's allowed us to really be in a great liquidity position um, where we're uh, and we've said this publicly so I can I can say it to you you know we're on track to to cross into being profitable this year uh, EBITDA EBITDA positive and so that that's going to allow us um, really in my mind to say now we're going to be a, a kind of a real company like I don't like burning cash I don't enjoy that um, so so we raised a we did like uh, an angel round. <laughs> that was the first outside money we brought in, and then we did an A round, um, uh, a B round, and a C round. And so, okay. so okay. raised raised a lot of different rounds. And when did you go public? Um, August of twenty one. August of twenty one, and uh, I noticed the stock price is uh, probably not where you want it to be as of today. Uh, is that because just because we're in a shitty ass market with a high inflation, or what? What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yes. And, and we came public via SPAC. And so it was a great market for that. When we went public, it was a great opportunity. Um, but, but investors in wall street are very binary. It's sort of either, either it's great or it's not great. And, and that's sort of the knee jerk reaction. And so, yes, there was, we're a growth story. I mean, we, we're an early public company. You're buying, you're betting on our growth, you know, and, and at the time when we came public, there was a real thirst for for yield uh, because rates had been so low, and so people were aggressively looking for growth, and, and there was a huge premium on on growth, which we took advantage of. And then that that went exactly the other way as rates went up, and we didn't have the, the the same thirst for yield. You know, growth is all terrible, and so it's sort of that guardrail to guardrail. Um, but I, I tell you, you know, I wasn't a seller where we debuted at at our IPO, so. Um, and I'm not a seller today, so I think it's actually a great opportunity and we've used it in some say, ways as, uh, a re yeah. as a recruiting tool, you know, to say, Hey, get in, get in while it's, while it's good, you know? And, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, could, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah. I was, believe me, I was thinking the same thing today. Well, you cause your market cap is what? Almost 700 million or something like that. I think. Yeah. And so yeah, we have yeah. 200 million in cash. So the, you know, the enterprise value. That's, <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, and you're not, and now you're, you're profitable. You 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 can be profitable because you can slow. You don't have to grow as fast. Is that? Does yeah, that sound like that? that's right. We're on our way to. We're on our way to to being profitable. You know, either Q three or Q four. We've said that's when we're going to cross over. Right. And and that is, you know, that get that in was now. Get in yeah. now. Buy the stock now because as soon as they exactly. start, you know, okay, all right, everybody, did everybody hear that? Uh, by the way, what's it? What's the stick? What's the uh, symbol? What are you? What are you trading under? What's, what oh, it's it? a SMRT. Okay, very um, good. Yeah. Uh, all right, very good. Do Do you wish? Are there times when you're like, I wish I hadn't gone public? <laughs> no. no, no, because actually, you know what I really, what I actually really like about it, because um, I've been at at other public companies, and I was with Homestore when we had an IPO, so I've been to other IPOs. Um, but I like the sort of rigor and discipline that it brings to everyone. It's and true. It's, it's, it it's sort of you. not the same sort of yeah. ping pong VC startup. And I prefer that to that. Like I never let us have a ping pong table in the office. Cause I, my first job at all apartments, my desk was next to the ping pong table. And all I heard all day long was ping pong balls flying off paddles. And so like, I'm never going to, I'm never going to have a ping pong table in the office. So <laughs> I think I'm more of that. I, I skew more to that. Like I don't want to have uh like the startup was great, but it really is, um, you're, you're doing everything you can to get going. And, and then now you get to sort of enjoy having some rigor and some discipline and really. It's true. That's, that, 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 that is a great point, Lucas. Yeah. I can, you know, I didn't, I wasn't a CEO for a public company, but I was a CEO for a couple of smaller $40 million companies that did have quarterly board meetings and, you yeah. know, preparing the board book and doing all these things. It does kind of force you to make your bed and, Dust yep. the furniture and you know, kind of okay. Yeah, let me just call let me just call time out and get all this ready and then go in and tell everybody why where we're at and what we're gonna do. And it's it's a good exercise. Yeah, it is it does because yeah, because guess what? With Rider Flex right now, I don't do any of that. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that sounds nice too some days to me, but um, yeah, but no, I, I, so I like it. I, I like and I, I like the good. public markets. You know, I think you got to be in it for the for the long haul, though the long term. You know, we always were like I wasn't trying to to get public and and have my exit, and so that's a okay. good fit for us. Uh, two two last questions. I know we're almost out of time. Are you if somebody was going to acquire you? Who who are some possible targets there right now? Well, I I don't know. I, I it's a good question, but I like thinking about how do we stay independent, okay. public, and big. So there, I mean, there's lots of people with big checkbooks, and if yeah. if somebody really wanted to to get into multifamily, we'd be an obvious person to look at. You know, so if you were in other categories of real estate, but but ultimately. Um, I just feel like where our stock is, like it's not even really on my mind. Okay. Like, it, like we need, yeah. we have work to do. Translation, you wouldn't sell for whatever the market cap number is right now. No way. <laughs> no, I wouldn't sell for anywhere even near that. Even near that. Yeah. Uh, then the last question is, are you the majority stockholder right now? No, you're not. Okay. No. No. Okay. Okay, very good. Uh, so technically, this is a good, I always get this question from early aspiring entrepreneurs. So the reality is, if the board decided, if they woke up one day and like, we don't like Lucas anymore, they could eject you from the business. I mean, technically, right? I guess. 100%. A absolutely. Um, and if, if anyone says that's not on their mind, I I, I think they're probably lying. So, exactly. so yeah, I mean, everything you built could be like, hey, sorry, thanks. Uh, and it yes. happens, by the way. Yes. Look at look. All the I time. mean, there's some big ones, but but All it happens even with small ones. So the reason I bring that up is because I think it's kudos to you. The fact that you built this thing from the start, you grew it to 600 employees. You you've taken it public. Here we are in a little bit of a down cycle right now, um, and you are still there. They still believe, like, no, no, no. We need Lucas, like because if they didn't, they would have already ejected you, right? right. And you're, yeah, the, and you're still there, and you're required to, right? But yeah, that's their that's their job. It's their job, and and but they haven't, which means they they definitely believe in you, and you've uh, done a great job, obviously, of keeping everybody happy, which God knows is not easy. <laughs> yeah, well, I try, but I mean, I think it. I think more than even keeping people happy is just I think everyone needs to see the the passion and the fire yes. that's still there, and that doesn't matter if you're private, public, whatever, that that I still have a tremendous amount of belief in what we're building. Mm -hmm. And 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 I I know a, a short term stock price isn't gonna is gonna knock me off of that. Like we've right. we've made incredible strides, we've done incredible things and and you know a, a a market turn isn't gonna isn't gonna dissuade me from that passion. Good man. Good man. Lucas, yeah. congratulations uh Thanks, on guys. everything, my my friend. Us you know, just for the listeners, one more time, uh, SmartRent, SmartRent.com. And I'm sure that he has the investor button down at the bottom. You can get all the information you need, right? Yep, uh, absolutely. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you sharing your story on the RiderFlex podcast. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun, Steve. Thank you. Thank you.